Well, good evening and a really warm welcome to Christchurch Baptist Church Online. We're so thrilled that you've joined us this evening. A warm welcome to you, whether you're local to us here in Christchurch on the sunny south coast of England, or if you're joining us from further afield. It was so great last weekend and this weekend too, to welcome folks from the United States and also some Brazilian speaking and some Polish churches as well. So, so thrilled that you're with us this evening. Our speaker this evening is Derek Stringer, and he's going to be speaking into our theme, which is about thinking faith. Uh, Maybe last weekend you joined us to hear his message, The Strangest Miracle. Well, if you missed that last weekend and you want to watch it back, it is on our YouTube channel. And we've just posted the link in the chat function of our online platform. So you can have a look on that if you uh, missed his message last weekend. Well, Derek is going to bring part two this evening of that message. So really looking forward to that and particularly pleased this evening to welcome Henrik as well, who's involved in a ministry called Voice of the Gospel based in Poland. So great to have Henrik with us this evening. Well, over to Derek now for our teaching this evening. Thank you for joining us for today. And this is, of course, part two of this series of the strangest miracle and the greatest mystery of Christianity. Have you come across lateral thinking puzzles? Here's one example. A woman said that her grandmother was younger than her mother. Can that be true? Well, the answer is yes, it can be true. If her mother is 58 and her father 24, her father's mother could be 44. Now, if you're like me, I don't do very well on little puzzles and mysteries like that. But I need to do better when it comes to what the Bible calls mysteries. And that's what we are focusing upon right now. The greatest of Bible mysteries. The word mystery is found many times within the Bible, and if we can grasp the significance behind the greatest miracle, according to the Apostle Paul, then that is going to change us for the better. One example of a mystery that we have within Scripture is right at the end of Romans. It's all been about what the gospel is that the Apostle Paul is completely unashamed about because it's so life-changing for time and for eternity. And he concludes on the note about the mystery of the gospel. And it is that during Old Testament times, prophets had little bits of the jigsaw puzzle. But now, with the coming of Jesus, we have the whole box lit. We have it all coming together. The mystery is solved in him. 1 Timothy 3.16 is another, the mystery of godliness, that the invisible God made himself visible in the person of Jesus Christ. That is an incredible thought. That's a mystery how that could happen. But it did happen, and it's been significant for us all, of course. If you turn on to Revelation 10, you will find another mystery. There is John on the Isle of Patmos receiving all sorts of revelations about Jesus and that which he has in store for the world as he stands to tear open seals and trumpet blasts sound and various events take place. But then it comes to a point where he is given an insight on what is called seven thunders. He is about to write down what he has seen And he is told, don't do that. So it's a mystery. Have you ever had someone say to you, let me tell you a story, and they begin to tell the story, and then when they get almost towards the end, they say, oh, don't worry about it. Well, you are worried about it. You haven't yet had the outcome and the conclusion to that story. A lot of questions we have are why God questions. We're not getting the outcome of what is actually happening. Why did you allow this? Why did you not do that? Now, what we're looking for is reasons behind what is happening or not happening in our lives. But you see, even if we get an answer to that, it doesn't change the circumstances. But we do need a resource. 
rather than a reason behind things. And that's what we get in this great miracle that we're going to spend some time looking at. There is one of these mysteries that we really can call the greatest mystery of all. And we're going to think about that great mystery now. To do so, if you have a Bible handy, we're going to be reading from Colossians 1 and we're going over to Poland where there is an English speaking community who are listening to what we are doing here in Christchurch and it's good to have them involved, particularly for Henrik who is the director of Voice of the Gospel. We have particular links from this church here with that ministry of Voice of the Gospel. So it's good to have Henrik Henrik reading the scriptures and praying for us and then he'll hand right back to me to take it on from there. Hi from Poland where people in English speaking community are joining the meeting. Greetings from Voice of the Gospel Foundation. We are producer of Christian radio documentaries and features. 56 radio station, commercial, state and Catholic broadcast our programs. Voice of the Gospel organize evangelistic camps for young people. Please let us open the Bible and read letter to the Colossians chapter 1 verse from 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I will fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerful works in me. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are talking to us. Thank you that what you are saying is a true and your truth is making us free. We need this freedom so badly. Amen. Over now to Derek. Thanks Henrik. Well now, before the current lockdown, a travel agency had a poster displayed in its window. Escape the ordinary, usual, predictable and boring. Take a fun-filled trip with us. Two young women, clearly escaping the routine of their office on their lunch break, looked at that poster and one was overheard saying to the other, that's all very well just as long as you don't have to take with you the predictable and boring. And the other young woman said, who's that? And she replied, myself. Looking at Christian people, I sometimes wonder how many find their faith a thrilling experience. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Which is why I like to talk about the Christian experience in superlatives. Because it's not just love, it's love that surpasses knowledge. It's not just joy, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not just peace, it's a peace that transcends understanding and so much more. Because it's come that we might have life in its fullness. Boredom is the opposite of all God wants us to experience in our Christian lives because Jesus is the mighty maximizer and none of us wants to look back on a wasted life and Paul had discovered a secret. 
It's become an open secret as to how we can enter in to that much more of the fullness that there is through Jesus Christ. This is the greatest mystery of all which is being explained. We've reached the point where Paul is very clearly going to outline it for us so that we don't miss it. But before he does so, he says, I need to tell you something about myself. Now, isn't this an anticlimax? Because if you look back over the previous paragraph to the one that we just looked at, you will see it's talking about the supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that he is above and over everything. So, before he made tables, he made trees. Before he looked at the stars with his followers, he made those stars. Everything holds together because of him. And then he goes on and says, now let me tell you about myself. Isn't that getting it all wrong from the Apostle Paul? No, not really. Because you have to keep in mind that these are believers in Colossae they don't know him personally, so he needs to, in a way, outline something of his credentials for communicating with them what they are to be and how they are to live out this Christian lifestyle. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit has taught him four lessons, which are important lessons to learn. And the first three, although important, are really just a precursor building up to this final great lesson that he has learned personally and wants to communicate, and that is this great secret. Let's take the first of these lessons the Spirit of God has taught him, and we'll look at this quickly. And it's a lesson about his frankness. Do you see that? He's being honest and open about where he is coming from as a believer and the struggles that he is experiencing. Don't give the impression to become a Christian is to be rid of all of your problems. Little girl said to her mother, Mummy, do all fairy stories begin once upon a time? And her mother said, No, dear. Some of them begin, when I became a Christian, I came to the end of all of my troubles. Actually, you did come to the end of all of your troubles. This end, with more to follow. All that has happened is, you have exchanged one set of problems for another set of problems in a world like this. But actually, if you think about it, there is a relief in owning up to that. You don't have to pretend to something that is not real. If we do, of course we're living in unreality, and as God only moves in reality, we're going to miss it with him. There are probably more lies told when churches gather for worship in the ten minutes before or after a church service, when we greet one another and somebody says, how are you? And we say, fine, but our heart could be breaking. And we're really in need of prayer and for care. Paul has his struggles and is willing to admit it. There is little help for people who will not move in that kind of vulnerability, that openness and that honesty that Paul does. But there is a second lesson that the Spirit of God has taught him that we need to also note. And it's a lesson about his failure. Paul didn't feel strong all the time. Do we think we should always cope? I mean, isn't that the victorious Christian life? Well, actually, no, it's not. We are wrong. In fact, Paul, on one occasion to a church, said, we are to bear one another's burdens. Now think about that. Somebody has got to have a burden for us to be able to help bear that burden. I smiled when I saw this poster. If at first you don't succeed, 
Skydiving is not for you. Failure is part of life. Did you learn to ride a bike and fall off? Did you then say, oh, that's over then, can't ever do that again? No, you learn from that failure. You get up, brush yourself down, start all over again. Peter is a favourite disciple and apostle for most people. And I think one of the reasons why we like him is that he failed. And we take note of that failure in the Gospels. He reminds us of ourselves. We remember him walking on water. Why is it that preachers like me like to make the point? Ah, but he got his eyes off Jesus and he sank. Why don't we also make the point that he went back to the boat? How did he get back? Did he swim? I don't think so. I think he walked arm in arm with Jesus, don't you? Yes, he denied the Lord around a charcoal fire, but there's only one other mention in the New Testament of a charcoal fire, and that's the one that Jesus gave breakfast to the disciples at after his resurrection and restoring him to a ministry so that on the day of Pentecost, many people would become part of the kingdom of God and part of the church through this man who had once denied the Lord Jesus. Failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. Failure is delay, not defeat. Detour, not a dead-end street. And a winner is big enough to admit his mistakes, smart enough to profit from them, and strong enough to correct them. Great athletes have short memories because they fail. It's all part of the training curve to have the demands made greater and larger for them. But there is such a thing as failing forward. That is that we learn from that failure and we grow through that and advance. And God never consults our past to determine our future. Have we set out in the Christian experience? And now we label ourselves a failure because not everything has come together in the way in which we would want it to have come together, in the way in which we know that God would have wanted it to have come together. But God does not use us in spite of our weaknesses, but because of it. And that leads us on to a third great personal lesson that he has learnt, which is a lesson about his flesh. You see, if we had met Paul, we would have been horrified at the sight. We would have thought, what awful accident has he been in that he looks like that? Chained to a Roman soldier as he is right now, here writing to the church at Colossae. Look at what he says in the 24th verse. I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Why say something like that? Is he a masochist? Oh yes, I'm facing trouble, I'm facing suffering and pain and trauma. Bring it on, I'm enjoying every moment of it. No, he's not meaning that and he's not saying that. Paul has come to understand something which was a revelation for him and may possibly be for us. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Few verses in the Bible have been more misunderstood than that verse. People read that and get the impression that the work that Jesus did on the cross for our salvation was insufficient. That we must add to it in some way. We must go through some kind of purgatory or pain in order to be able to enter heaven. But you see, if that was the case, it would strike at the heart of justification through faith and that alone. What does it mean? Perhaps something we've never really thought about. Christ has not ceased to suffer. 
With the cross behind him, we may have the impression all of his suffering is finished and it is over. Suffering for sin, that is over. Thank God for that. But his suffering for the church, to be mature, to grow, to be all that it's meant to be, that is not over. And the word used here for afflictions is never applied to the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. Here is a woman in labour and she is going through a real pain. Now she will never go through that particular pain for that particular child ever again. But does that mean in bringing up that child even into the adult years, she doesn't suffer any pain or trauma or affliction? Of course she does. It's ongoing, but of a different kind. And Christ on the cross suffered sufficiently to bring the church to birth, but not to see it becoming a strong, mature body here on earth, of which he is the head in heaven. And I wonder if we realize that we cause him pain and affliction today, and that that pain is seen in fellow believers who are going through pressure and trauma and affliction in order to see as a witness the church developing and growing and people being all that Jesus wants them to be because he is the head, they are part of the body and they are expressing his pain through their pain and their afflictions because they're only going through that because of him and their identification and relationship with him. Now Paul realised that the church would not grow up without people as part of his body on earth being bruised and beaten up and hurt and persecuted and as he was imprisoned. All of this for the sake of the growth of fellow believers. How did Paul come to realise all of this? I think he realised it in his first conversation with Jesus. He'd been a religious terrorist and now Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus and says, why are you quite literally kicking out at me? And Paul can legitimately say, but it's not you, it's these people that I am against. And Jesus can legitimately say, what you do against them, my brethren, you do against me. It's a deep thought. But Jesus' cross was for pardon. Our cross is for propagation. It is that we will be a witness for him and sometimes through the pains and afflictions because of our commitment it's a deep truth. Christ is suffering today through his people in order to help us all to grow up. And when a fellow believer is feeling it and is giving their time to a commitment to us in this way and is feeling the pressure of it all, but that we might develop and that we might grow, that isn't their affliction and their pressure. It's the pressure of Jesus in and through them. A true story is told from Kenya about a tribe of the Maasai warriors that was completely converted to Christ. And it was because one Maasai warrior had an instant conversion experience. He then wanted to tell his tribe about it, so he went to them and started to explain what the gospel was like and what it was all about, and they took barbed wire, and they whipped him with it. Leaving him alone, he thought to himself, they don't understand, this is such good news. I obviously haven't explained it well enough. So he rehearsed to himself how to say it better, and then he went back to his people, and they whipped him with barbed wire again. 
And then he went back a third time and they whipped him with barbed wire once more. But this time with tears in their eyes. And it wasn't long before they took seriously what he had to say because they realized through his afflictions how much it meant. And they came to know Christ personally. Mark it down. Life is hard. Why is it important for us to know that? Well, maybe one reason is, otherwise we're going to have a shock when life's hardness hits us. Before major surgery, most hospitals have fallen into a certain routine. And that is, they try to prepare not just the patient for the surgery, but also for family and friends when they're going to visit after that surgery. So somebody from the surgical team will say, now he has come through the surgery well, but when you see him, you will find all sorts of monitor screens and tubes coming from his body, but he's come through the surgery fine. Now they know that they need to do that for at least two reasons. One is, if you don't know that, then when you walk in, you're going to go in and say, oh my, he's dead. Oh my, he's never come round from this. But actually you don't do that now because you'll walk in and you'll say, it's true, he doesn't look like death warmed up. Or you'll walk in and say, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And what has made the difference? Preparation. Can we look at our troubles like this? This is not the whole answer to affliction and suffering in people's lives, but it's not less than this. Now this is hard to hear, but I'm going to say it anyway. Hardships are God-appointed for us. Paul encouraged new believers to continue in the faith and listen to his words. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. He sent Timothy to help the Thessalonians in their faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. God's power doesn't always deliver us from participation in disasters. What changes us is not that we suffer less physically than unbelievers. It's that the suffering and death is not punishment or condemnation. Paul's tears and groans went on to his dying day, and more so because of his Christian belief and faith and witness. Absolutely essential to Paul's life of pain were these words, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, not one then the other, but both together. Do you see that? The sorrow shows that Paul is real. The joy shows that Christ is great. How do we handle all of these things coming upon us personally? Well, we get the answer in the final lesson that the Spirit of God has taught Paul here. Everything has been a build-up to this explanation of the great mystery. Now, I suppose the most famous mathematical formula that many of us would know from Einstein is E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Just five little symbols, but it's changed the world. Two tangible expressions happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but also... When we use electricity in our homes, something I will do in a few moments' time when I make a cup of tea for my wife and for myself. And yet the meaning behind the mystery in three English words is far greater. Why is Paul's struggle so intense? 
because he is sharing this mystery with people. And the Jews particularly didn't like it because this secret was out. This is not just a gospel for Jews, but it's for Gentiles as well. But it's a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. People love a good mystery, don't they? That's why the books of Agatha Christie are popular around the world. And we've reached the point where we can examine history's greatest mystery. But I want to start by giving you a few clues concerning it all so that we have a little way of trying ourselves to figure it out for ourselves. Here's clue number one. This mystery, it can make us rejoice even when we suffer. The power behind this mystery is so great, we'll experience a joy like none other, even in painful times. Now remember, Paul suffered more than we can imagine with no complaining. This sacred secret, it allowed him to see stars through prison bars. That's the first clue. Figured it out? Uncovered what the mystery is? Knowing this, we don't just survive, we thrive. Let's move on to clue number two. This mystery, it was hidden for many ages. Moses and David had incredible insights that God gave to them. But they never really got this mystery. The Old Testament is full of promises from God that he will save and deliver his people. What you never find in the Old Testament is full detail of how God intended doing it. And it's that mystery that is fully unveiled in Colossians. So clue number three, it will make us a complete person. The purpose of this mystery is to have everyone perfect in Christ. Now that does not mean living now without flaws so that we're moving around in that kind of perfection. It means being just what we are meant to be day by day as we grow and develop in the love, the joy, the peace, the patience and so much more that makes up the Christian lifestyle. During Old Testament times, people lived under the law. The only way to be a complete person was to keep the law. They existed with a performance mentality. Righteousness was established by how good or bad they acted. But this mystery, it offers a new standard. Unfortunately, some churches still preach less than this mystery. They preach that salvation is you shall and you shall not. Their motto is try harder. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. And what happens from the pulpit is to try and whip people up, motivate them to be all that you can be. You've got the potential to be it. This mystery completely contradicts the performance standard. And it's the way to become complete people. Have you figured out the mystery yet? If you haven't, it's right here in black and white. Christ in you. That is profoundly simple, but simply profound. Christ in us enables us to remain positive during suffering. Christ in us is the only way we can become a complete person. True community is realised when the Christ in me connects with the Christ in you. The you is plural here. In other words, this is for you Gentiles, not just for us Jews. Took some time for the Apostle Paul to get that message, but he got it in the end and wanted other people to get that as well. The New Testament teaches dual truths of how we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Paul was turned upside down 
through his encounter with the living Christ. But do you know, he only quotes Jesus three times in his letters. He uses the phrase in Christ 160 times. For Paul, the most amazing insight is, I'm now, through my faith, identified with all that Christ is and all that Christ has done. I think the person who most impressed this truth upon me was Major Thomas. He wrote a little book, The Saving Life of Christ, little slim volume but it's a classic in understanding this. He expressed it this way. To be in Christ, that makes you fit for heaven. But for Christ to be in you, that makes you fit for earth. To be in Christ, that changes your destination. But for Christ to be in you, that changes your destiny. To be in Christ makes heaven your home, but for Christ to be in you makes this world God's workshop. That's the mystery. We need to grasp the significance and relevance of that for our lives, because when we do, it changes everything. Consider three enormous personal applications of this mystery. The first there is a salvation application. You know, Jesus shocked religious leaders by saying, the kingdom of God is within you. It's salvation that is activated when the king comes to live inside us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit indwelling our human spirits. Robert Boyd Munger wrote a booklet my heart, Christ's home. And it describes how salvation is like inviting Jesus to come into our life as if he's coming into a home and then allowing him into every room, something that doesn't happen if you are a guest. You don't go into the rooms and open cupboards and drawers, at least you're not meant to, not right to. But we allow Jesus into every part, to access every department. Everything changes when he is no longer a resident in our lives, but president of our lives. In other words, his lordship reigns over us. By the way, do you know why Jesus Christ is coming again? Among other reasons, the answer is in Hebrews 9. It is to bring salvation. I am looking forward to being saved. Because you see, in the Bible, salvation is past, present and future. In the past, through the work of Jesus on the cross. In the future, yes, when we're part of a new earth and a new heaven with new bodies, just like the body of Jesus. But in the present, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus in our lives. In Romans 8, the words are interchangeable. What? The Spirit of God does, Jesus is doing. What Jesus does, the Spirit of God is doing. Galatians 2.20 describes our present salvation. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is the essence of the Christian life in the here and now. Not I, but Christ lives in in me. Ian Thomas says it better than I can. There are few things quite so boring as being religious, but there is nothing quite so exciting as being a Christian. There are those who sincerely try to live a life they do not have, substituting religion for God, Christianity for Christ, and their own noble endeavours for the energy, joy and power of the Holy Spirit. They are lamps without oil, cars without petrol and pens without ink. Baffled at their own impotence in the absence of all that can make man functional. You see, man was so engineered by God 
that the presence of the creator within the creature is indispensable to his humanity. Salvation is not religion. It's Jesus living in us. Second, there's a security application. When our heart is Christ's home, he doesn't change addresses. In the Old Testament, there was first a tabernacle and later a couple of temples. In them, God's glory was displayed. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. Now he has a people as his temple. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Do you see the security we have because of this? Salvation is Jesus coming to dwell in our lives. So the only way to lose our salvation is for Jesus to leave us. And he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. King David prayed, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, because back in his day, that was a possibility, because the Holy Spirit would come on and in people and lead them at times. When Jesus talked about sending the Holy Spirit to represent him, he said, he lives with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. Indwelt, by the risen Christ, we never need to pray, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Christ has come to live in us and we are his permanent residence. So Christ in us gives security. And one more thing, there's a strength application. Frustration, do you know what it is? It's trying to do things for Jesus. Fullness is allowing Jesus to live his life through us. Allowing Jesus to live in us doesn't make us a passive person. We work harder than we ever did before, but it's his strength, not our own. Notice what Paul wrote about this strength in Colossians 1.29. To this end, we labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in us. In me, in you, which gets more done working in our own energy or in his. Christianity is not about giving our best to Jesus. Come on, buck up, pull yourself together. It's surrendering our all. I recall a young couple coming to see me. They said, we need help because we need patience with our children. We get so quickly irritated with them. And we're praying for patience and it's not working. I said, well, there's one answer to that. Stop praying for patience. And they looked astonished and said, but if we need patience, surely we should pray for it. I replied, show me anywhere in the Bible where it says that you as a believer are to pray for patience. What you will find is that patience is an outcome of Jesus who is patient living in you by the Spirit. Because the fruit of his presence is not just love, joy, peace, it's also patience and a whole lot more beside, such as self-control and other virtues. Now Jesus didn't have any strong points because he didn't have any weak points. So how could he have any strong points? He had all those virtues in perfect balance in him. He is in you. So say, Jesus, please be patient through me. I give up my life to you. I don't want to quench or grieve your presence. Be patient through me. And thank you that you'll be so. A couple of weeks later, I think it was, I saw them and they said to me, it works, you know. <laughs> and I smiled and said, it doesn't, you know. And they got the point. It's not it. It's him. It's his life reproduced through our life. To quote Ian Thomas, godliness is not your capacity to imitate God, but the consequence of his capacity 
to reproduce himself in you. Not self-righteousness, but Christ-righteousness. It's not in activity, but Christ-activity. God in action, accomplishing his purposes through human personality, never reducing man to the status of a cabbage, but exalting man to the stature of a king. I became a Christian when I was in my late teenage years. But it was some time later when I grasped and began to understand something of this fuller experience of the gospel, not just the saving death of Christ, but the saving life of Christ. That Jesus didn't just die to get me to heaven, but to get the Holy Spirit of God out of heaven. To be living in my life and living through it. And these seven words literally changed my life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Once I began to understand that Jesus lives in me to do things through me, it made such a huge difference. Instead of trying to imitate the life of Jesus, which I found impossible, I learned simply abide in Jesus like a branch in a vine. And the fruitfulness comes through the remaining in the relationship and allowing the flow of his life through mine. I'm still learning and I guess I always will in time. At times I feel as though I'm paddling in a pond of churchianity. I'm busy in various things, but I need to be allowing that life to flow through. If I have ever been a blessing to anyone by what I have said or done, that was not me. That was Christ in me, the hope of glory. Stuart Briscoe says he went through four stages. When first a Christian, he said, oh, this is easy. All I have to do is to repent and trust in Jesus. Learning what Jesus expected of him, the second stage was, this is difficult. Stage three was admitting, this is impossible. Then he discovered the secret of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And stage four, this is exciting. What stage are we in now? Are we looking for something that enables us to rejoice even when we go through the toughest of times in our life? The answer is in these seven life-changing words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Go over and over in our mind, Christ is our energy, Christ is our wisdom, Christ is our knowledge, and thank him that he lives in us, to be all of this through us. God doesn't create provisions to meet our problems, oh no. He allows our problems to be met by his provisions. When God created the world, Adam didn't hold his breath until God had created air. That was there and available for him. Which came first, sin or salvation? Before there was a garden of Eden, there was a garden of Gethsemane. Because what Jesus was to come to do in time was an eternal act already in the heart of God before the world was ever created. The provision was there. There is no need in our life that God has not already met. Let our mind go over and over that. He comes to indwell us. Let him be at home in our lives. Reckon upon him. I love the way that Christian from China, a lovely believer, put this watchman knee. How do you get into a room in which you are already in? Difficult that, isn't it? If you're already there, you don't have to get into it. You just need to acknowledge it. You simply need to affirm it. You need to take it into account. Change the soundtrack of our life. Stop saying, I can't. Have you ever kept track of the number of times we say, I can't? 
It's just as simple and takes just the same amount of energy to say, I can through Christ who strengthens me. There is no need in our life that God has not already met. Reckon on it. The secret of the Christian life is not trying harder, but trusting more. And then we can rewrite that travel poster. Escape the ordinary, usual, predictable and boring. Take a fun-filled trip with us all the way up. The secret is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Trust and never doubt. He will never fail us. God, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is only real hope. In this world, there is less and less hope. Thank you that you are living in us. It's unbelievable, but it's true. We don't want to leave you and forsake you. Lord, thank you for your love. This love will not allow us to leave you. Amen. Well, Henrik, Derek, thank you so much. It's been brilliant, hasn't it, to hear more from God's word this evening, to dig deeply into that rich treasure trove of scripture, to be inspired by it. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, wherever you've joined us from. If you don't have a church that you regularly commit to and you're part of and you want to join us here online, we're here every Sunday, 10.30 in the morning, and we've got a mixed programme, a Sunday evening activity as well. So do take a look at our website to find out more. Well, God bless you and thank you again for being with us.